You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. Sister Jean Schmidt broke onto the national television scene four years ago when Loyola Chicago marched all the way to the 2018 Final Four, defeating my Kansas State Wildcats in the Elite Eight, but I won't hold that against her. Very few people knew about the Ramblers or their most devoted fan until they saw her in her courtside seat for that three-week stretch. She played on the girls' basketball team in high school in San Francisco before entering the Sisters of Charity of the Blessed Virgin Mary Convent in Iowa. Four years later, she moved back to California, where she taught for the next 20 years. In 1961, she was hired at Mundelein College in Chicago and was hired by Loyola in 1991 when Mundelein merged with the university. She has worked as the team's chaplain for a men's basketball team since 1994, including that great run in 2018. Her ever-present smile is her trademark, which was seen on television again this season as Loyola qualified for the NCAA tournament in back-to-back years for the first time since 63 and 64. Sister Jean, welcome to Sports Connections. Oh, I'm happy to be with you this morning, David. And uh, I've read a lot about Sports Connection and everything, so uh, let's on with the show. All righty. You're known as a big college basketball fan. How much of that is because you were shown so much during the 2018 tournament? How much is it just because you're really a fan? Oh, I think most of it is 2018. I was just plain old Sister Jean in the beginning. And um, 2018, the first morning I woke up after we kept our, um, beat our first bracket, I said to myself, oh my goodness, this is not a dream. This this is so real. Get going. So I yeah. did get going when um, my manager, who was Bill Barons, came and said, oh, Sister Jean, a couple of reporters want to see you in the lobby. Oh, so we went down to the lobby and that's when it started. There were two. But the next time the first game was over, the next game was over. I went to the locker room and there were, I, I don't know how many of them, maybe 20, maybe more, just standing around. And one time I had five microphones in my pocket, plus all the microphones that were facing me. But I was just, just enjoying myself and knowing that our team and our coach, Porter Moser, had done their very best out there and we were going to continue. Now, you are a big college basketball fan. You and I were talking before we started recording this that you'd much rather watch college basketball than the NBA. Where did that, where did your fandom come from? Well, I think when I, when I discovered basketball for women, and that's when I was a freshman in high school, I, I went to a Catholic um, elementary school also but I was in the charter class and they had put all their money, I guess, into building the school and no money for sports. Mm. Just, even the boys didn't have sports. So we're still equal for Title IX so no, because nobody had anything. So then I went to high school and saw these young women playing basketball. And so I got on the, what we call today, the club team. And in those days, the, high, the court was divided into three, three sections. In the middle were two sides and two centers. 
and in the either of both courts were two guards and two forwards from each team. Only the forward could make baskets. So it was a very slow game. Yeah. It, was, it was a passing game. And you didn't dare put your foot over the line because you, you lost the ball. I was a side because I was a short girl and all, only short girls could be sides. So we, we just played for fun. We had intramurals as everybody did. And, but I went to the varsity games everyone we had at school at St. Paul's. And then when they went away, we always had a bus. And we, I was one of the first ones in the bus, I'll tell you that, because I liked it so much. And the bus went, was just at city schools and in Petaluma. Mm -hmm. And that, that was about the only uh, um, on the road game we had out of the city. So it was very limited. But it was fun. But then in 1938, they changed to half court. But I was gone by then. I was in the commune. Okay. When did you fall in love with college basketball? Well, um, when I was at Mondelein, I became, I became uh, besides being uh, an academic advisor in the education department and a teacher, doing, uh, you know, like five courses, teaching five courses a year or three or four. And then uh, I became, knew I was interested in basketball. So I said, well, I'll become the driver, take them to the places we go. So off we went in a big station wagon, just kind of jammed in together with no really designated uniforms, except that I got our colors were white and red and white. I've, I found a place that would sell me a red t-shirts for a very minimal price. And then the girls made their own letters and sewed them on the back of their shirts. Oh, wow. And it, it, it was just fun. We used to have fun. We, we went to all, all of Lake Forest and all those places to play. And I have to tell you a story. One time we went to Lake Forest to play and it was a lovely evening when we left. But by the time we got there, it was snowing. The planes refused to come into Chicago. The, coat, the referees couldn't get there. So there we were, the two coaches from each school and myself who was the driver and the two teams. So the coach had said, oh, we can't, we'll have to cancel the game. I said, oh, I could ref the game. <laughs> and so they called NCAA and said, well, Sister Jean is here. She's a driver. She's the driver for the team. And she knows how to do volleyball because she played volleyball and conscious of the rules. And so... Um, is it okay if she referees the game? And they said, well, if the two coaches agree, that'll be fine. So I refed the game. Today, that wouldn't happen. No, no. <laughs> I know, I know. But it was fun for me. But I'm guessing that if they're going to trust anybody off the street, they could trust a nun, <laughs> well, <laughs> to be per honest. Perhaps, perhaps, because I was in habit at that time, too, you know. Uh -huh. I have to tell you, we won the game. Okay. 
Now, I know that Mundelein was not part of Loyola at the time, and it is now, but uh, are the universities close to each other? Oh, we shared the same back fence for years. Okay. From 1929 on, we shared the same back fence. Okay. And that was the first um, kind of visible thing we did was take the fence down. That was the, just a little thing that we did. Okay. So did you follow the uh, the Loyola run to the national championship in 1963? That was certainly a highlight in Chicago. Oh, one of our nuns had a brother-in-law who gave us a little TV like 11 and a half inches. And we watched that little black and white thing that and it was a delayed game. So, and no cell phones. So nobody called us and told us we won the game. It was like, we just were there. And it was so exciting. Um, I, I just, I can just see us sitting in that room as we did in 63, gasping and shouting. And, <laughs> as though we were right there because we had watched them all along. And then all of a sudden when that, sorry, got, when the basket went into the, or the ball went into the basket that time, we were just so happy. And all of a sudden we heard this shouting outside and it was all the young men coming from their residence hall. And it, Loyola was not co-ed at that time course we were not co-ed they came over to coffee hall which was the residence hall for the women got them out of there and they all walked down the white line of Sheridan Road now and even though it was midnight traffic never stops in Chicago so even though it was midnight the cars were coming we could have lost all kinds of students but they were shouting. (laughs) They were shouting, we won, we won, we won. And I think perhaps all, all Chicago knew this game was going on at that time because communications even then was very excellent and they were so proud of us. So I, we made it and then I, it, we just did some great celebrations. And I used to come over periodically to walk over and watch the, the guys play in the gym. And it was fun. They used to play after the, the women and sometimes in their games. And so then I would just stay on after they did. I, I watched every game Mundelein played. Uh-huh. Every game. Well, what's your favorite part of the game? I mean, there, there's so many aspects of college basketball that are so exciting. What's your favorite part of the game? I, I've never thought about my favorite part before, but I, I just think it happens before the first half end, end this, ends because that's a pretty good indication. Not always, but everybody, both teams, I, I like to watch it because both teams want to go into the locker room with the higher number on the scoreboard. Right. Even if it's two or one. So I, I watched the strategy of the coaches at that time. If a fella has a lot of fouls to give, those fouls come out pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes we have a student who is the, is the fouler, and that's what I call him. He gets out there, doesn't play very much, but he's put out there to foul. 
Now, you and I were talking before we started the recording, uh, and obviously we're recording this before Selection Sunday, and we talked about the fact that you're quoted in, in Joe Lenardi's book, where, where we call, Joe and I uh, call Selection Sunday, the biggest non-sporting sporting event in America. Talk, tell me your reaction again now that we're recording about your excitement about Selection Sunday coming up. Oh, and I'm, I'm perhaps this is the most, this time I'm, I'm more excited than ever before because um, I didn't know the Final Four was going to happen, but I know that we're going to go wherever, wherever is best for us to go this year. And this year, we're doing a great thing for Selection Sunday. I just had an email this morning from the AD and that went out to, I'm, I'm supposing thousands of lums and so forth, that we're going to have see Selection Sunday in our Gentile Arena. And that holds 5,000. So I'm anxious to see how many people will come there instead of watching on TV. Yeah. But it's going to be, because the team is going to be there. Watching those teams just makes me so happy, regardless of what school they are, regardless of who they're going to play, because the energy that comes out on the TV with these young men jumping up and down, especially excitable, are those who are in the 90% who have played very hard all, the, all season, but may not be the top one in their conference or however each conference is that. So it, it's just fun to watch and uh, to see. And I'm, I'm glad they don't show the people who are waiting and don't hear. Yeah, that, that, that is a sad, a sad one for sure. I've, I've been in a few of those gatherings when the team I was covering uh, didn't get in, and that's not a lot of fun. Um, mm -hmm. Now, it's interesting, Sister Jean, you, to a certain extent, you are the face of the program and even the university at Loyola. How does that feel to be, you know, you're, you probably can't hit a jump shot anymore. You probably can't drive the lane anymore. How does it feel to be the face of the program? When I'm 102, I can hardly walk anymore <laughs> <laughs> because uh, I had shingles in my right leg and the shingles destroyed my muscles and nerves. So I'm trying to get those back again. I'm doing a good job, but I'm not ready to, to run out there and make a, a free throw or a three-pointer three or anything like that. Yeah. How does it feel? Well, it sort of startled me at first, you know, and then someone said, oh, is this all going to your head, Sister Jean? And I said, no, it's not going to my head. I'll do anything that's, or say anything, or participate in anything that is good for my congregation and for Loyola. And if it brings happiness and joy to people, I'll do that. People stop me on the street, no matter where I am, and say, oh, Dorothy, could I have a picture? Oh, sure. You know, I can be on Michigan Avenue, and people stop me. Or wherever I am, and uh, at school, when freshmen come. The other day, I was sitting at my desk, 
my door in my office opens right into the student center. I have the highest, the most valuable piece of property on Loyola and Loyola's campus, opening up into the student center. Uh-huh. Why we're here, they're not here, we won't be here either. So we, I just have a good time sitting here and people come in every day. Some days, sometimes I don't even get the work done I'm supposed to be doing. But I always feel that talking to students is fun. And I love talking to them. It makes me feel good. So I guess I've always felt good. I don't have any bad days. Yeah. I, I think I get that from my mother and dad. My mom and dad were very happy people. They were people who loved others. They were people who loved perhaps even more parties than I do. So, so I, I learned a lot from them all my life. Okay, now we talked about the fact that you played played basketball and volleyball. So what other sports do you enjoy watching today besides basketball? Well, I enjoy watching football to a certain extent. I don't spend as much time watching football as I, I do basketball, but I do like watching uh, football. Um, I, I watch the golf tournaments the big ones, not all the little ones. There are too many on the channel. Um, that, that's, that's about, about it. Oh, volleyball, of course. I love watching volleyball and soccer. I, I think I've hit the big ones. Those, yeah. those, those are the ones I really like. And here at Loyola, our soccer teams are good, men and yeah. women. And um, our... Um, um, uh, volleyball, both men and women are, are really good. But the basketball gets a lot of intent, attention yeah. because uh, when you don't have a football team, the basketball team is, is the flagship. So we're, we're out there. But we have all our athletes are good. I have to say that. Now, you've, you've been a resident of Chicago for 60 years. Uh, a little over 60 years now. So are you a Cubs fan or a White Sox fan? I'm a Cubs fan. Okay. <laughs> I, I can hang in there with everybody else and say, yes, we'll do it next year because that's what we kept doing on our basketball team. We'd say, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah next year. So I think we're like the Cubs. <laughs> we hey. don't have 100 years between. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, uh, you mentioned that you're 102. A lot of people much younger than you are long since retired, but you continue to work at the university with helping students and serve as a chaplain. What yeah. keeps you so active, so energetic? Well, you know what? Believe it or not, I did retire in 1994. <laughs> but uh, because the university offered a great package and my community said, well, I'll take it because it also had a little caveat in there that said I could work 500 hours a year. And so I did it. But then when Father Garanzini came, he didn't know me at first, but he found out that I could work and do stuff. And he, he said, I want you to come back more, more than what you're doing. And so that's what he did. He hired me back again and not, um, fully because the contract I signed right. 
related hours and all that kind of stuff. So he said, you know, you can work um, during the week and then for the hours we agree upon. And then he said, the rest of it will be on you. A lot of the rest of it is on me. But I, I love every moment I do. I am here. Um, I, come, I come every day. Even now I come every day. And I, what keeps me alive and keeps me young at heart it's a student. Uh, you know, I, I learn from them every, every year how things are going. And there, these, these students we have right now because of um, the COVID session that we, we've had and continue to have, that 50% of our students never had the opportunity of going to a high school game. So they are here in thousands. Our average is over 4,000 every game we've had at home this season. We never had that many before. It's not only because of COVID, but it's also because of um, Porter Moser, who did a lot to bring students to the court because he courted them to come to games and to be with us and to cheer. Drew has picked up a lot of things, many, many of Porter's uh, traditions, and we're grateful for that. But Drew, Drew also has to be himself. Yeah. And he, he is himself. He is himself on, on, on the court. And he knows what to do. He knows. We are so fortunate, David, that we didn't have to go outside to get a coach because these students knew him. He knows them. And they bought into it right away. And it would have taken us three years to really, you know, move along again. But he's picked up where Porter left off, and here we are. Yeah, that, that's I, I've been very impressed with what Drew has done in his first year there. Excuse me, I believe he's the youngest coach in Division One right now. Yeah, he might be the youngest of all. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's talk a little bit about the 2018 tournament. Um, I was I cover Kansas State, and so I was really excited when Kansas State beat Kentucky uh, late in the game. All of our bigs had fouled out, and so our tallest guy on the court was six foot four, and Kentucky's shortest guy on the court was six six, and we still managed to hold on and win. And I was so excited because we were one game away from the Final Four for the first time since 1964. And the only team standing in our way was little old Loyola, Chicago. <laughs> you guys stopped our dream. <laughs> so let's talk about your recollections of that 2018 tournament. What stands out to you? Well, well a couple of things. I, we didn't know when we got to the final four or before we got to the final four, we, Got, played that first game, and when we were so close, I thought, oh, I don't know if we'll make it. Well, Dante stood there. They knew he could do it, and you could actually hear that ball as it sliced through that basket, and, of course, the roof of the place almost went off because, <laughs> because 
the Kentucky team had stayed to cheer us on. And that place, that enterprise arena was full of blue. And it went well with the maroon and gold. And they were cheering as much as they could. So that, that was an exciting thing. And, and I'll never forget how those guys just jumped on people and hugged them. And I mean, their team, not people. Well, they are right, people. right. But then, then, then the next time, we, we were closer, even closer. And Clayton, I can still see Clayton Custer dash down that um, floor and with the other team very close to him. And he makes this crazy shot that backwards and the ball jumps out and then it jumped in. And when he came and we gave each other a big hug, I said, David, I mean, Cluster, David. Cluster, I couldn't believe that you that ball went in. I wasn't sure. And he said, I wasn't sure either, Sister Jean, but I had to take the risk. I said, take a risk anytime. And then he said to me, you know, Sister Jean, we broke your brackets. I said, I know you did. Break, keep breaking every bracket. <laughs> Clayton Custer's a Kansas City kid. That's right. Yeah. He's such a great kid. He's with Porter now. Yeah. You know he's yeah. With Porter? At Oklahoma, yeah. But he's, he's helping develop students and teams, the team's character as well as the basketball information. And so, so then we get to the next game. We do a little better. The next game, and we did fine. And we we just wanted we wanted to beat Michigan State. We played hard, and at halftime we looked pretty good. And then they put in a fella that I hadn't played very much. It was sort of a sneaky thing to do. They put a fella in there who was going to the NBA and. I hope he does. I hope he's doing well in the NBA. But it was it was just knocked the knocked the wind out of us. But that was all right because our our guys were really oh they they felt you know very sad about it and I did too. But they were very resilient. They were happy they went that far, and we we still got such royal treatment. Yeah. There in San Antonio, every place we went—Dallas, for um, um, Atlanta, San Antonio—we were treated with that wonderful Southern hospitality, and it got more Southern-like as we went to each place. So the, that whole Final Four was just a wonderful reality. It wasn't a dream anymore. Sister Jean, I, you are an amazing lady. I, I'm very honored to be able to speak with you today. I, I've never seen a picture of you either on television or anywhere else in the media where you're not smiling. Where do you get your great disposition? I, I get that from my mom and dad. Mm -hmm. I never heard my mom, our mom and dad. We never heard our mom and dad have an argument. They probably had them, but they were never near us when they would have the the 
their disagreements. So, and they were happy people. They were making people happy all the time. That people loved them. And, you know, we, we were proud that they had a lot of friends. We know, we knew as children that, you know, if we had any problems, we could talk to those friends and say, help our mom and dad. Our friends were good. We gave, we gave a, an anniversary party for my mom and dad one time, and they didn't know anything about it. We got our friends to back us up to make it a surprise that they were, the friends were as happy as we were. So it, that I, I come from a very happy family, had a happy childhood. We did things together all the time. I think that's what's missing in society today. Um, parents do their thing, children do the, go to their games and do their thing. But they're here and now, parents do go to the games, but they're, they're making some of the games very hard for, for children. So more and more of them don't want to play because they don't want parents to interfere. And we should never, we should never interfere with them. And I remember Father Garanzini saying to us one time, he was our former president, and he said, don't get in the way of the students. I thought that was the best advice he could give faculty and staff. And um, when a student comes in to see me, I try to think of what I would like somebody to say to me if I had that problem. And they come in with dreams. I, I say, well, how are you going to fulfill that dream? And they, they have a pretty well-settled well plan. And I say, don't let anybody change your mind. You have to make that dream a reality. And if you don't, then that's all right. You can find something else. That doesn't mean you failed. It just means that you were not for that job. And that's the way I talk to them. Sometimes I talk to them with them. They know what I'm more serious and talk in a different voice to them and say, why did you make that mistake? I talk to the young men after they've made a mistake. I say to them, does your mother know that? Does your mother know you do this? No, Sister Jean. I said, oh, you better tell her because you know what? Moms know stuff before it happens. <laughs> <laughs> she probably knows you already did it. So you better tell her. And I had one man, young man I had, and he lived in my residence hall and he was written up. So he came in and then he had, then he was written up a second time. Oh, did you tell your mother this yet? Not yet, Sister Jean. Well, you know what? You, you better tell her. And if, you know what? If this happens again, then I'm going to have to make, have you make a decision whether it happens because you want to come in and talk to me or whether you want to do this thing with your girlfriend all the time. You have to make a choice. He never had to come in a third time. Yeah, yeah. But that's the way I talk to them and they talk very openly to me. Yeah. One time a fellow came to me and he, I knew what he was telling me. I, you shouldn't be telling me, you need to be telling the priest. And so 
I said, you know, I think you better talk to a priest. And he said, oh, aren't you a Jesuit, Sister Jean? And I said, oh, no, I'm not a Jesuit. I'm a BVM sister. So you better talk to somebody else. So I got him to talk to somebody else. Okay. I always like to wrap up my podcast by asking one question. And most people have to ponder for a while because it's still, it's still in progress. And so is yours. But you've got a lot of history behind you. So here's the question. What is your legacy? I would just like people to think that, that I did good in my life and that I left them feeling that I would be around some way just in spirit or not to forget me either and that I would help them wherever I am. That's a, that's a great answer, Sister Jean. Well, it's been, a, it's been an honor and a, and a pleasure. In spite of 2018, it's been a pleasure to get to know you a little bit. And, and, I, and I wish you much success moving forward. And hopefully another 10 or 20 years, you'll still be the chaplain sitting courtside when Loyola makes another tournament bid. That would be something. But you aren't the only ones we made feel that way. Illinois became very angry with us, too. <laughs> we... we when we went on that court, I know we didn't think we were going to win that game, but we, we were just good. And you know what? That happens to many teams. They were absolutely cold. Their best, best player couldn't, couldn't do anything. Well, of course, we were hot, but he was cold. Yeah. And the thing is that I keep saying, when, once, once the tip-off happens, the coach has no power. He, he, he can't foresee, he can foresee a lot, but he can't foresee the whole game. And he can't foresee what his team is going to do until they get out there. Yeah. And the other team changes their strategy. But today it's become such a defensive game and such a strategic planning. If people want advice on strategic planning, they should talk to basketball coaches because they're doing more and more of it, especially as we get to the final buzzer. Yeah, I, I agree. And if they need lessons in life, they should just simply talk to you. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right, you have a great day. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, David. Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.